0: Hello, thank you for tuning in to this Bible study. I feel like I say that every single time. Uh, those who have been watching since we started doing this two and a half years ago are probably sick of hearing me say that, but I am grateful that you are tuning in to this Bible study. We are going through the book of Genesis, and we are on Genesis 20 today. Before we dive into this week's study, I just want to say something really quick on the level of your involvement in what Iron Sheep is doing. Uh, It's been really fun to see over the past two and a half years as God has developed uh, this ministry. And in April, uh, we officially became uh, a non-for-profit entity, Iron Sheep Ministries Incorporated. We launched the website and come January 1st, this is my full-time job. And a new element that is, is foreign to me, but, but I need to get better at, is inviting people to join in the work that we are doing. And what I mean by that is that these studies are being used. And it's not just Genesis on a weekly basis, people who are watching through Genesis with us. It is Matthew it is Acts, it is Romans, it is previous studies. People are finding them and are listening to them and watching them and digging into the word. And that is the whole reason for doing this. So I wanna invite you to be able to participate with me and help with what we're doing. And there's three ways you can do that. The number one way is prayer. And to a non-believer, it might sound like cliche, like, oh, I'll pray for you. I have issue when people say that and don't mean that. Prayer is our conduit, our communication with God, and it is powerful. Please, if you are going through and you are watching these Bible studies and you are involved and committed to, to participating in what Iron Sheep produces, please pray. Pray for this ministry. Pray that I... And used by God and that it's God's words that are, that are spoken, that the Holy Spirit uses me, but also pray that these studies are found by people throughout the world and that through them they are able to grow closer in their relationship with God. It's huge. Prayer is real and it is powerful and it is by far the most significant thing that you can do. Number two is sharing the Bible studies or the Apostle Talk videos or anything that we produce. Yeah, you can share it on social media, but the, the bigger impact is if a friend complains about the fact that they feel a lack of their relationship with God, or they feel distance, or they just feel like, you know, my relationship with God is not what it should be. Of Relationships are based on communication, are based on spending time together. So if you want to grow in your relationship with God, Spend time studying his word. It is his word to us. It is the easiest way for us to know God's will in our lives is to study this book. So share these studies with those individuals. And it doesn't have to be iron sheep, but any study, get involved in a weekly study and recommend that people do. They will grow in their relationship with God. The third way is financial. And This, in order to keep going and keep doing what we're doing, there is an element where people need to participate with their funds. And in you giving financially, it shows me that you want to help continue what is happening, that you see value in what God is doing and you wanna see it keep growing and keep happening. There are literally thousands of hours of content being watched of Bible study, which I think is really cool. So what we're trying to do right now is uh, generate 2023 donations in monthly donations. So whether it is 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 40 bucks, a hundred dollars would be amazing, but I'm not, it di- it's, it's different for each person. It might be $5 per month, but if you go to the website, go to ironsheep.org, uh, there's a donate button, or you can go directly there, ironsheep.org forward slash donate, And through PayPal, you are able to make a commitment of giving on a monthly basis. The difference between giving just uh, $100 once, or even $20 just once, and believe me, I'm grateful for whatever you wanna contribute. It does go and it is very beneficial. But the benefit of making a commitment on a monthly basis is is that the board, what we're trying to do right now as a board is figure out our monthly budgets for 2023 and figure out, okay, well, well, where's money coming and where's it going. And when it's just random donations of a a dollar amount, that's great. But if we have commitments from people uh, on a monthly basis, it makes it so that as a board, we're able to make decisions uh, a little bit easier. That's the end of this uh, tangent on donations uh, and support. Join with Iron Sheep in what we're doing and get involved. It's a very easy way for you to actually participate in ministry is to support in one of those three ways. So now let's get back to our Through the Study, where we are in Genesis chapter 20, and uh, uh, in the different commentaries, one of them, the Holman, um, calls this Sister Act Part 2. Sister Act Part 2, which I think is is funny, and the reason being is, is that we are now seeing uh, a replay of the same thing that happened in Genesis 12 where Abram and Sarai go down to Egypt and Abram says to his wife, tell everyone that you are my sister. Well, we're going to see the same thing happen today uh, with Abraham and Sarah, uh, but this time it's it's not all the way down in Egypt uh, and it's with a different king, but it's the same idea. And... Uh, it begs this question of why. Why does Abraham do this? And we're gonna talk about that. So before we dig into Genesis 21, do you bow your heads and let's dedicate this time to God. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you that we are able to study your word freely and to learn from it and to hear what you would have us know um, today. So I pray that you will open the hearts and the ears of those people that are listening and watching and that you'll speak through me, that I'll be an instrument approved and that these are your words, not my own. Speak to us, Lord. We love you. We dedicate this time to you and we praise you. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm gonna read uh, Genesis 20 verse one, pause. We're gonna talk for a little bit and then we'll read the rest of Genesis 20. Um, it's only 18 verses. And I I thought about going into 21. Most of the commentaries actually combine 20 and 21. And the reason being is that chapter 20, we deal with Abimelech. The second half of 21, we deal with Abimelech again. So it is logical to kind of put it all together. Uh, But I don't want to do that. So I'm rambling. Um, Genesis 20 verse 1. Now, Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while, he stayed in -er. Gerar. Gerar. I can't roll my R's. Gerar is... You're supposed to roll your R's in that for the proper Jewish pronunciation, but I can't do that. Uh, And there, Abraham uh, said of his wife, Sarah... And actually, I'm going to pause there. I'm supposed to pause at the end of one. So we have three different locations, four, the Negev, Kadesh, Shur, and Gerer are four different locations that are mentioned. And I just want to camp on on this for just a second. I think that when we study the Bible, one of the important things for us to do is actually have some context of where places are, Um, because for me personally, it helps me to, to try to picture where that location is because these are real people, these are real events that happen in real locations. So uh, as we study, I think we should look at where these locations are. So this map that I'm showing right now is just a photo of a map out of my Bible and it has the kingdoms of uh, Israel. But the thing that I like about this map is that it does show, all the locations that we're talking about today. So you have Edom down in the southeast. Um, Then you have the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea. And then just west of the Dead Sea, you see Hebron. Hebron is where um, Abraham has been living in the the last few chapters, but but years and years is where he has been residing, is in Hebron. So he goes south from there into the Negev. The Negev is uh, just another term for desert, and it is the desert region south of Hebron. Uh, Beer um, Shiva. Um, I used to call it Beersheba, but it's uh, Beer Sheba. Uh, is how it's pronounced and i'm still belaboring it but that city is in the negev it's in the northern section of the negev the negev is just the desert region of the south but you look to the west on the coast and you see gaza and then between the two of those is which is the town that we're going to be talking about today this is the location of this happening but if you look all the way to the south you have kadesh now this has a kadesh barnea um so it's referred to as Kadesh as well as Kadesh Barnea. Now, as we go to the next map, this is a screenshot that I, that I took last night of Google Maps as it is today. Now, you see the Dead Sea. You see Israel. You see the, devi- the, 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 um, the line in between Egypt um, and Israel. You see the Gaza Strip. And you see Birer Shiba, Shiba is right there in the middle. It still exists Uh, as a city to this day, Um, and you see Jerusalem up north. As we continue on, this is the region that we are dealing with today, Uh, this desert region that is in the south, in between uh, the eastern side of Egypt um, and south of of Jerusalem. Uh, This is zoomed in a little bit closer. The town of Gerar is the archaeologists believe they found it in Tel Harar is the name of it. And it's in between uh, Berear Sheba and Gaza. Uh, and it exists there to this day. And this is these are photos of that location. So this is, uh, they're obviously modern photos, um, but this is the location of the desert area in which we are going to be camping out today. And for me personally, as I said before, um, I like to see pictures of it. I like to know where it is because this literally happened in this location. Abraham stood and likely stood on this hill at some point and looked out over this valley uh, and uh, as these things were happening, and it helps me to get context to know that. Okay, uh, back to our notes. Let me just make sure I hit on everything. Um, oh, some, some other context. It's in this region uh, in which Hagar, when she has had enough, uh, she is pregnant um, with Ishmael. Uh, she, When she leaves uh, and goes south, it's in this region, Shur, which is on the eastern side of Egypt, but this is where the um, angel of the Lord speaks to Hagar. Um, we also have uh, Kadesh, or Kadesh uh, Bar- um, Barnea, is a very important... Uh, location as it uh, uh, accounts to Israel, and it will come up a lot in Israel's history as you continue studying through um, uh, as you continue studying through the the Old Testament. And the reason why it's so significant is is that this is a spot in which um, Israel is shown the promised land. So after Exodus, they go down and, uh, and they're in Egypt for 400 plus years. Uh, the the plagues hit, Israel is released, the part of the Red Sea, etc. They go over to the Sinai Peninsula. Then they come up north to the promised land and they are in Kadesh uh, in which the Lord shows them the promised land. They come to the southern border and Moses sends uh um, scouts up north to take survey of the land, and they freak out. They're afraid. They're afraid because of the Canaanites, they're afraid of the people, the giants that are living in the land. And as a result of this, the lack of trust in God, they spend another 38 years wandering in the desert, this southern section, the wilderness area, for another 38 years before they come back and take possession of the promised land. But Kadesh or Kadesh uh, Barnea comes up multiple times. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 as well as Deuteronomy 9.23 are both spots that you can dig into Scripture you can see where it's from this location hundreds of years in the future in which Israel uh, unfortunately has a lack of faith in God. uh, And and as a result, uh, they wander for another 38 years. It's kind of crazy. So now we're going to continue on and I'm going to read... Sister Act, part two, Genesis uh, 20, verse two through 18. So join me. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead. Because of the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, "'Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation?' "'Did he not say to me, she is my sister? "'And didn't she also say, he is my brother? "'I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands.' "'Then God said to him in the dream, yes.'" I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all belong to you will die." Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? Have, how have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? In verse 11, Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had made had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love for me everywhere we go. Say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech Brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Okay, let's dig into this. So why does Abraham do this? Uh, I want to dig into uh, the commentary that Walton gives us here in the... um, in IV application commentary um, of a perspective here, um, there is no point in asking why Abraham tries this again when it resulted in such disappointment. Uh, oh, excuse me, in such disaster the first time. After all, we cannot rule out the possibility that he also uses it successfully on many other occasions. Our ignorance concerning the reasons for this ruse can only be reiterated. For the text, the ruse is not central; the results are. I spoke about this when we were on Genesis 12. We don't know why Abraham did this. We don't. Uh, but the text doesn't tell us. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, Scold Abraham for his actions. So the question comes up: um, Is this an example of how we're supposed to live? Is this an example of that that of what how you know what we should do? Is it to our benefit to be honest, to be dishonest, and tell half truths, especially to non-believers? If it benefits us, should we lie? That's a question, and we talked about that in Genesis 12, but um, reading verse 11 through 13, Abraham gives his reason. He said to, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So we know in Genesis 12 that when he went down to Egypt, uh, Pharaoh took his wife into his harem but God protected Sarai and prevented uh, the breaking of the covenant and, 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 and destruction. God protected Abram. But Abram was blessed like crazy. In fact, that is very likely where Hagar... Uh, Sarai's handmaiden, who uh, we, we talked about that whole, how Ishmael came into being, etc., likely was one of the gifts from Pharaoh is that Hagar was one of the slaves that was given as well as cattle and all these other things. Abram was blessed because of that situation, but he clearly didn't learn his lesson. Pharaoh made it clear, what is this thing that you've done? And Abimelech says the same thing. What did you do? So uh, we know from the fact that Abraham says, everywhere we go, say this of me, that as, as Walton is attesting to, likely he did this other times than the two times that we have in the text. And it probably was successful, uh, but in my mind, it shows Abraham's lack of faith in God, is, is that he's fearing man, not God, in the situation. He's fearing what Abimelech is going uh, to do to have his wife. So I just keep coming back to it. Does this mean that that we're supposed to see Abraham? I mean, Abraham is the father of faith, right? We are children of Abraham if we believe in God. So should we use this as an example? I mean, it's mentioned twice now in Scripture, and it'll come up a third time. Uh, Abraham's son is going to do the same thing. Isaac is going to do this in the future. Genesis 26, we're going to see the sister act part three. So is this an example of how we should live? No, no, this is not an example of how we should live. But this is an example of the fact that the patriarchs, and I said this when we were on Genesis 12, I love this book. And one of the reasons why I love this book as a holy text, it shows that even the amazing leaders of faith that are lifted up as being examples for us to follow, we see how broken they are. Abraham is not perfect. We see the highs and the lows, and I love that. I love that fact because I'm not perfect. No one is perfect. And and yes, we strive to always be more Christ-like and to be changed from the inside out, but we see an example in our text Everywhere you look, you see these guys uh, and girls lifted up as these examples of how we should live, but you also see examples of their failures, which I love that fact. My favorite character in the Bible, I would say, at least right now, is Peter. I love Peter, and the reason why I love Peter so much is I can relate to the dude, okay? I am very much a pull the cart before the horse In fact, don't even wait for a horse, let's just go, let's just go, let's just go and do. And that, we get to see in the Gospels, we get to see the transition of these random fishermen, uneducated fishermen that spend time with Jesus and are changed. And Peter is that example. Matthew 16, 15, we see this amazing moment in which Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Then he asks again, who do you say that I am? And that's specifically Matthew 16, 15. And Peter responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yes, good answer, Peter. You're the man. And this was given to you by the Holy Spirit. This is not of your own. This is given to you by God. And it's based on this rock that I will build my church. Some people use that that to mean that Peter is the rock that the church is going to be built on, and there's different interpretations of that. I believe that it is the rock of the Messiahship, of Christ's Messiahship, of him being the Messiah, which is the foundation of the whole point of of Christianity, of everything that Jesus did is the fact that he is the Messiah, right? So it's on this rock. It's like, yes, Peter, you're the man. You said it. But then, oh, poor Peter, you just go six verses forward. And Jesus says, he, he yet again, he's telling them what's going to happen. He's prophesying his death. He's saying that the teachers of the law are going to, um, arrest him and that the son of man will be killed, that he's going to be murdered and executed. And Peter says, no, this will never happen. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Six verses, six verses. Yes, Peter, this is given to you by God. Bless you, Peter. And then six verses later, get behind me, Satan. I mean, Man, Peter was like just high on a high point, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> get behind me, Satan. She's like, oh man, that must have been so hard. Uh, and then Peter's denial of Jesus. All four Gospels give an account of Jesus saying that before the rooster crows, you are gonna deny me three times. Peter says, No, it'll never happen. I will die for you, which he eventually does, but uh Then, in the process of Jesus being tortured, uh, a rooster crows three times. And before that third crow, Peter denies that he ever knew Jesus. And then the rooster crows, and Jesus actually looks at Peter. Now, what was that look? Some people who have uh, one perspective of God think that Jesus looked at him and said, Aha! I told you. I told you you were going to deny me. I believe based on my understanding of our savior that that look was compassion and just like, just love the thing that you got to keep in mind. That's another low point. But shortly thereafter, uh, John 21, 15 through 25, when Jesus in his resurrected state comes back, he reinstates Peter and asks him three times, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And he reinstates him and gives him the charge of going and being the leader of the church. And we see in Acts chapter 2, this is some uh, less than two months time passes between uh, um, Passover, the the crucifixion, and um, Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we see Peter give his first sermon that we know of after Passover Uh, excuse me, after Pentecost, he gives this amazing message, and 3,000 people are saved from this message. The point being, we see Peter in the Bible. We see his lows, and we see his highs. We see Abraham. We see his lows, and we see his highs. He is a man after God's heart, a man of faith, the father of faith. He is Father Abraham. He is the patriarch but yet he's human, so we can look at him in his highs and his lows. Okay, that's a tangent, but uh, that's the takeaway, is that we need to see the fact that this is not an example of how we should act and how Abraham's acting, but it's also interesting. It's also interesting is is that you see God interacting with his creation again, but it's Abimelech. It's Abimelech, this uh, pagan king who he's interacting with Through a dream. This is a a consistent thing that you see is God interacting with his creation, whether saved or not, through dreams. It's just an interesting thing. So let's talk about Abimelech. Verse 2, Abimelech is introduced. Abimelech means uh, my father is king or father of a king. Now, Abimelech is uh, is similar to, it, it is a title. It is a title similar to Pharaoh. There were multiple different pharaohs of Egypt. That is the idea of king. The same idea as Caesar is a title of a king. Um, we're gonna see Abimelech also in chapter 21, as I mentioned before, who is the same same Abimelech, but we're also gonna see him in chapter 26 with Isaac. And they believe that this is not the same Abimelech, but it is Abimelech's son, or it could even be his grandson who is now king. The term is used, Abimelech, the same, um, because it is a title. Now, verse three, you are as good as dead. Uh, God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken, she is a married woman. This is an interesting statement. You are as good as dead. And we learn actually from the last verse here, For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. A plague hit Abimelech's entire household, and there is actually uh, a theory out there that it was some sort of a um, sexual uh, issue, a a malfunction, so to speak, um, that affected both Abimelech and the women. They couldn't conceive, but there's also potential where he was actually impotent, which also does explain why he gets so upset and also why the uh, apology gifting that he does is so great. It's actually more than what Pharaoh gave. Pharaoh gave similarly, but Abimelech actually also gives land, whereas Pharaoh did not give any land to Abraham. But uh, So let me actually read from Walton again, um, a little further on in the commentary here. Um, it is clear that the plague on Abimelech's house has something to do with barrenness or more likely with sexual dysfunction, since Abimelech also requires healing. Abimelech, Ab- Abimelech's malady may be impotence. Such conditions would bar any sexual contact and therefore would protect Sarah, as well as making conception impossible for Abimelech's wives. Anything that prevented childbirth could be described as closing the womb. Uh, Abimelech responds generously, uh, probably as an act of appeasement to Abraham's God. So, As I said before, God is protecting Sarah and is protecting. The covenant, I mentioned this in Genesis 12, that these 10 chapters between 12 and 22, we see situations of the covenant, the covenant at risk and the covenant being protected by God and the covenant being fulfilled. The the covenant, you can go back and read it yourself. Genesis 1 is where it it spells it out. Uh, And then it's reaffirmed in 15 and then in 17. Uh, But it is I will bless you, I will curse those who curse you and bless those who bless you. you will become a mighty nation uh, as as much as the sand of the the uh, the desert and the stars of the sky and the entire world will be blessed through you. That is actually a prophecy of a coming Messiah. that's Jesus is the blessing of the entire world through Abraham as Jesus is a descendant of Abraham.. Uh, but, so that's the Abrahamic covenant. God protects it because if we just saw God in the flesh come down and say, in a year's time, you will have a son. Now, she hasn't had that son yet, and we don't want that son to be by Abimelech. God is protecting the covenant. And because of that, he brings that plague down on Abimelech. Now, verse five, we see Abimelech defend himself. Abimelech is the innocent one in the situation. Uh, Historical cultural context of the crime that Abimelech may have committed. You see Abimelech step back and and defend himself in verse five and make it clear, I haven't done anything wrong. And then when when he talks to Abraham, he makes it clear, what is this thing? He makes it clear, this is a huge issue. Uh, And we're we're pulling Walton back out for some more context. Um, Page 495. Here the accusation concerns the potential for adultery. In Egypt, Mesopotamia, and Canaan, adultery is regularly referred to as the great sin and is considered extremely detrimental to society to the extent that it it is characteristic of anarchy. Hittite laws, Middle Assyrian laws, and the Code of Hammurabi all contain legislation against adultery. Adultery was a big deal back then. Committing adultery, as this text said, was, uh, it's detrimental to society. And unfortunately, today in our culture, uh, it has slipped drastically. Adultery is not nearly uh, such a bad sin um, as it was considered in Abimelech's day. In our day, I mean, the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s brought about free sex. You know, uh, just go have consensual sex with whoever you like. We're free to do whatever we want. There's no consequences. Just go live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If there is no God, sex it up. Go crazy. We see today the results of that choice, of that lifestyle everywhere. Sexually transmitted diseases, AIDS, all of these different uh, uh, plagues on humanity wouldn't exist if people followed the Bible's outline for marriage. Adultery is very simple to define. It is a sexual act outside of the bond of marriage between a man and a woman. Anything outside of that is considered adultery. The, most, the easiest uh, example that most people think about when they think about adultery is a married man having sex with someone other than his wife. Yes, that is adultery. But here's a question. Are you guilty of adultery? Have you committed adultery? Most people who are watching this right now, hopefully most people, but there might be a few that say, unfortunately that is in my past, but most people say, no, 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 I haven't done that. Really? The definition of adultery, Jesus refined it. The Sermon on the Mount, uh, let's see, I don't even, I don't have the reference here. Uh, This is just going off my head. Uh, I think it's in chapter five. It's in chapter 5 somewhere. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about adultery. And he says, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. And that is a reference to Genesis 20. It's also in Leviticus in the law that you're not supposed to commit adultery. Then Jesus further refines and says, if you even have a lustful thought for someone other than your spouse, you are guilty of adultery. Based on Jesus' definition, we are all guilty of adultery. Not just those people who have sex outside of wedlock, who have sex before they're married, or even heterosexual versus homosexual acts. All of it is adultery. While I'm going on a tangent talking about adultery, the point being is is that um, adultery is a big deal. It is a big deal today, and it was a big deal then the whole ob- abortion uh, discussion that is happening right now in 2022. In fact, um, in two weeks' time, I'm doing an Apostle Talk interview uh, with the head of a um, pro-life uh, caring and pre- pregnancy center, uh, as well as a, uh, a local author um, talking about the, the plague of our day is abortion in my mind. It is the number one thing that, that society says is okay, but it is not. And we're going to talk all about it. But the point being is, is that if people followed God's plan for marriage, abortion wouldn't even be an issue because people would wait until they were married as a mom and a dad and then have children as it's designed, abortion wouldn't even be a problem. Okay. Done with that tangent. Um, Verse 16, Abimelech is, the the point being from this, Abimelech is the upstanding guy in this situation, but I love verse 16. Verse 16, uh, to Sarah. So Abimelech is talking and he says to Sarah, I am giving your brother a 1,000 shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Um, he gives him uh, sheep, cattle, male and female slaves, as well as a 1,000 uh, shekels of silver. The value of that today would be equivalent of the working man's wages for their lifetime. It's a lot of money uh, was given... But I love what Abimelech says. I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. I'm curious. I would love to, to be a fly on the wall and see this scene because no doubt he didn't say, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. I, I would anticipate they said, I'm giving your brother. A thousand se- shekels of silver. No doubt there was a sarcastic tone because Abraham has just said that, well, technically, I mean, she is kind of my half-sister because uh, on my mother's side, on my father's side, but not my mother's side, and Abimelech is, my guess is that he said it was some sarcasm, but that's me putting that there. Uh, okay, takeaway, big picture application as we wrap up. God protects and provides. Despite Abraham messing up and clearly having a fear of Abimelech as opposed to a fear of God in uh, a healthy fear of reverence, we see God protect the covenant, protect Sarah despite Abraham. So the question is, Modern day application. And I want you to read verse 11. I said to myself, Surely there is no fear of God in this place. Modern day application and takeaway for us today. There is no fear of God in this place. Abraham changes how he acts based on the fact that he's in a secular place. This king is a secular king. And uh, fear, um, out of uh, Gangle and Brammer, which is this book, uh, the the Holman uh, Old Testament commentary, um, he actually references and gives a definition of fear as being reverential trust that involves commitment and obedience. And I like that. We, you know, fear God seems so wrathful, uh, but it is a fear in the sense of reverence and respect. That's what he's talking about is, is that, uh, Abraham says there is no respect for God here. The, the, this is a secular place. We live and exist in the real world. Your job is likely not in ministry. Your job is likely going to a secular place of work. Uh, Your friends are likely not all Christians. We are called as Christians to be the salt. Uh, I like the saying that, that manure, Christians are like manure. When spread out, it's very good and we, we fertilize the soil, but when all together we stink. And I think that's true. We are called to go out and and be the salt, be the flavor, to go out into the world. We're not called to only live in our Christian bubbles and only have Christian friends and only interact with Christian people. We are called to go and live in the real world, uh, be in the world, but not be of the world. And so um, our call and takeaway from this, don't be different than you are on Sunday uh, the rest of the week. You go to church and you act one way for that 90 minutes, or when you're at Bible study, you act one way, and then when you're around your secular friends or when you're in your secular work environment, you suddenly change how you act. It is more important that you reflect Christ in the secular environment than it is at church. You need to be true to who you are and don't be afraid. Abraham was afraid of what Abimelech would do. And I know the fear that we have uh, of what people will think. Every time I share a video on social media, on Facebook, there's a part of me that, that, that says, well, what will people think? And that's just our human nature. It is the fear that even Abraham had. So the takeaway, the charge for us today is to be strong because people are watching. They see what you are doing um, Brennan Manning, uh, is a, uh, a a Christian, uh, um, speaker, an author. Unfortunately he's passed, but, um, at the beginning of the DC talk song, what if I stumble? I'm going old school now. I mean, this is in the nineties, uh, when this song came out, what if I stumble the intro to that song The original version on the Jesus Freak album, look it up on on Pandora or Spotify or whatever. Um, What If I Stumble, from the Jesus Freak album in the 90s, it intros with this quote uh, from Brennan Manning, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge things with their lips, then walk out the door and deny them by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. The greatest single cause of atheism is us. I agree with them. It's totally true. It is that, that individual who professes to be a Christian, shares a, uh, a quote on social media, but then goes out and lives a different lifestyle. We need to reflect Christ in everything that we do all the time everywhere. And it's the challenge. It is a challenge of being a Christian. So the takeaway, the question uh, for your small group, the question for yourself, the question to discuss with your spouse, in what way have you failed in that regard? Because I guarantee you have, I have, Abraham did. How have you failed to represent Christ in a secular world? The beauty of our Lord and Savior is, is that mulligans are renewing every day. Mulligan is just simply a do-over in golf. Uh, You, you you know, shank some, uh, a ball off into the woods and you take a mulligan means you just do a do-over, you just start over. The beauty of being a Christ follower is that we are renewed every moment we sin. We are renewed and we're not held down. We're not captive by sin. So you always have the opportunity to do better. So the first question in your past, What are some examples of opportunities that you had to reflect Christ in which you did not? The second question is, what are you going to do better next time? How can you reflect Christ on your day-to-day life, in your day-to-day life, in your workplace, among your peers, et cetera? How can you reflect Christ? What does that look like? Join me in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the example that we see in Abraham, the example of an imperfect person who is our leader, who is the person that we can look to for an example uh, uh, as a man of faith, who is considered righteous because he believed you. But yet we see in Genesis 20 an example of him being afraid of human thought as opposed to being afraid for you, afraid of you. Thank you for this example that we have. And Lord, I pray that each person listening or watching this today would be strengthened in knowing that Your grace and your forgiveness renews every morning, every day, instantly, and that while we try and strive to always reflect you, we will fail, but that we want to do better. Show us, Lord, how we can be the salt in this world and how we can reflect you. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Feel free to read ahead. Genesis 21. We are going to see the birth of Isaac. The promised child will finally be born, Uh, and then we're going to come back to Abimelech in the second half of 21, Uh, and we're also going to look at Ishmael and Isaac um, because um, Ishmael is born, there grows again this feud between Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac, so we're going to talk about that next week. Feel free to read ahead. I love you guys. Have a phenomenal week. And I'll see you next time.